This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Oh man, it is such a pleasure. This is the best night of the week. I love it. It's so fun to be here with you guys and to worship together and to just know that you guys are turning your hearts towards the Lord at the same time that I am, just giving them praise. It's so fun. Tonight, I am getting off the stage so that we can celebrate some of you guys and give you guys the mic. We have five students tonight that are going to come up, and based on the theme of Do Hard Things, they're going to be sharing a story or a testimony of a teenager, someone your age, that went and did something hard. So please encourage them, support them, clap like crazy for them as they come up, but I also hope that you'll be willing to allow yourself to actually be moved by their stories. That you won't let yourself just sit still and let this wash over you as someone else's story, but let it be an example to you of what God can do through you. Because the only boundaries of what God can do through you are the ones that you set when you play it safe. So I want to welcome to the stage our first speaker tonight is Aubin. Give her a big hand. Where's she coming from? Yeah, come on up, Aubin. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Um, fair warning, I might cry through this. Um, tonight, I'm sharing a testimony on my cousin, Sherry. Um, if we've got her picture. This is my cousin, Sherry. You never know it by looking at this picture that she is a mere two hours out of surgery to remove a tumor from her brain. This picture shows her beautiful smile but not the large Y-shaped incision on the back of her head. In March of 2006, when Sherry was only five years old, wait, I just read that. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. Over the next 14 years, she would have five reoccurrences, six surgeries, five rounds of chemo, two rounds of radiation, and countless other related surgeries and therapies. Cancer consumed Sherry's life. The children's wing of the hospital was her second home. While her friends were getting their licenses, she was in the hospital. Taking their class trip, she couldn't go because of seizures. While they were graduating in the hospital, moving out, going to college, getting married and starting a family, Sherry was fighting cancer. Anyone who knew Sherry would tell you that, despite all of that, she was happy and funny, and she had a peace that surpassed all understanding. All anyone had to do was ask, and she would tell you that she wasn't worried because she knew where she was going. And this is where her awesome (laughs) comes in. Sherry couldn't go out into a mission field. She couldn't build houses for the poor or dig wells in Africa, but she could be in the children's ward of the Barbara Bush Hospital in Portland, Maine a place where parents go where their child is dying, a place where their kids are hurting and scared, a moment in people's lives that is sad and scary and depressing. Sherry was there. 
She was there and smiling and laughing and joking and sharing Jesus. She was the heart of God, his peaceful presence in the middle of a dark storm for so many families that came through the hospital. You see, sometimes the hard thing that you have to do is just be where God put you. It may not seem fair or make sense. You may have no choice, but you do have a choice to be used by God in those circumstances. Sherry could have been mad and bitter that her short life had been one long, painful hospital stay with breaks of being at home. She couldn't do things people her age could. Her hair always looked funny. Her parents made her have braces even though her head hurt enough without those ridiculous tightenings. And who could have blamed her? Instead, she chose to laugh. She chose to focus on her favorite verse, Psalm eighteen nineteen. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Countless families found the peace and joy of the Lord in her laugh and smile. God was able to have a tangible presence in the children's wing because Sherry chose to be used where she was, how she was. She continued to laugh and joke and impact the lives of those around her until she went to be with Jesus. Fourteen years, almost to the day that she started her fight on Friday, March thirteenth, 2020. And here, a year after she's passed, she is still having an impact because tonight each one of you will walk out of here with her faith and fight being a part of your walk. Not because she did anything spectacular, but because she rested in God, and when everything around her was bad, she let God use her where she was, how she was, and use her he did. Thank you. Thank you, Alvin. Sometimes the hard thing God is calling you to do is to be where you are. Thank you, Alvin. That was profound. Boy, if you got that, <laughs> you can walk home with a nugget of gold. I'm excited to announce our next speaker. Hers is heavy, too. It's amazing. I love that um, our students, our student leaders in training are willing to take on difficult stories to share them with us. And so please welcome to the stage. Next one is Bella. Come on up, Bella. Okay. So tonight I'm going to tell you about a girl named Rachel. Rachel was a 13-year-old girl that went for the summer to live at her aunt and uncle's house in in Shreveport, Louisiana. The church that her parents, that her that her aunt and uncle went, that her aunt and that her aunt and uncle went to, was a kind of crazy church. They would like jump up and down, wave their hands around, and say "Amen" too much. Now, so she thought that she felt a connection with this church, which of course the connection would probably be that she was missing something in her heart, and that thing was her faith with her faith with God. So. So that thing was her faith of God. She got saved at that church, at that crazy church, and then went home, and then went home to to her family. Her family was a Christian environment, but her friends in her school was not. But many of us would just would go go home and not say anything or do anything about our Christianity that we just did or that we just had with God. But not Rachel. Rachel went. She didn't quit being true to the chain. She didn't quit being true to the change that Jesus worked in her life. She even started writing a book called What Do I Do About God? Here's a quote from that book. 
Go after God, whatever it takes. Do it, and don't give the excuse, I'm just a teenager, or I'll do that whenever I grow up, because it doesn't work that way. God wants to know you now. Rachel went through some hard times being a teenager and being at a public high school. It was hard for her to make friends. She felt lonely. She felt scared. She felt like an outcast, that nobody cared about her because she was a Christian. Some of us in this room might feel like that because we go to a school that nobody there is, most of us there is not Christians. Well, God's with you, first of all. And then second of all, you can do it. Rachel told everybody about her faith with God. Everybody. Well, she went to church and her friends didn't. So that was one reason as if to why she felt like a loner and that nobody would invite her into their group. She even wrote these hard things in her diary. I have no more personal friends at school, but you know what? I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus, she wrote in her journal. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. And I'm not going to hide the light that God has put into me. If I, sacrif- if I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I'll take it. If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with the best friend, Jesus, then that's fine with me. Rachel did hard things. That, that most of us would never do, like witnessing the people in her high school. I know that I'm turning 13 this summer, and I haven't witnessed to barely anybody at my school. She witnessed the two boys named Eric and Dylan. These two boys were strangers to Rachel. She didn't know them, and they didn't know her. It's easy to say that you're going to witness to somebody It's easy to say that you're going to pray for somebody or talk to them later when nobody's around. Not Rachel. She talked to them and told them about Jesus. April 20th, 1999. For Rachel, just a day like any other. She woke up, did her morning routine, argued with her brother, doodled in her diary in class, but saw Eric and Dylan this time again. They didn't let her talk to them. They both had guns. They used it to shoot Rachel multiple times. And then Eric and Dylan walked away, only to return back, doing the ones talking this time. Eric and Dylan said to Rachel, do you believe in God now? Before they shot her the final time. Her life ended, but her story is still being told. Rachel's story, she loved God, she wrote about God, and she told others about God. I want you to use me to be the unreached, she wrote in her journal. Here's the thing. Rachel never quit being a teenager at age 17. When she died, she and 12 others died in the Columbine High School Massacre, as it is now known. Here's a question. If your life ended at age 17, will your life show that you live for Jesus, or would it show that you're waiting to make a difference? But what if you never had the chance? Thank you, Bella. That was excellent. Yeah. I love the, the quote that you had earlier. Was it the live the change that God did in you or something? That was fantastic. So many times like, people are happy to profess something at the altar, and then their life looks exactly the same at school the next day. Living the change makes, makes all the difference. Uh, next on the docket, please give a huge hand for Olivia. Come on up, Olivia. Yes. <laughs> oh, just be yourself. Be awesome. You got this. 
Hey guys! <laughs> Mine is not heavy. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, um, I did. A, I don't have pictures either. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I did a girl. Her name is Hannah Erbst, and she basically created. She, oh well, you know. I'll start with the basics. She's from Florida, and everything she did. She started whenever she was like fourteen, and she was named America's top young scientist in 2015. Yes, pretty cool. Anyways, she made this device. Called, she called it Beacon. It stood for bringing energy access to countries around across the ocean. I think something like that. And basically, it was like it like floats in the water, and it you know it kind of looks like a those things on the side of boats. I don't I don't know. I really have no idea. <laughs> um, but it's it's like a I don't know whatever. It looks like that, and it takes it will like float in the ocean and it like takes the energy from the currents and transforms it into energy that people can use that live in energy poverty so it could like purify their water give them electricity it could charge batteries it um yeah stuff like that it wasn't enough to like power like you know a neighborhood or anything or like a town but you could like power like devices so they could you know purify their water or like I don't know, use their tractors if they had tractors. They might not have tractors, but whatever they had. They could, like, power one thing at a time. And she made it, like, to where it was an open design, so anyone can find it and anyone can learn how to make it because she's not, like, making you pay for it or, like, worried about copyright or anything. And she, like, goes to different countries and teaches people how to use it. I think she's 19 or 20 now. I was looking on her Instagram, you know, stalking her. Trying to figure out what she's like. I think she recently graduated from college. Or some. She graduated from something. <laughs> and. Um, so. And she had. The way. The whole way it started. She had this pen pal in Ethiopia. Which she like. It was from a program at her church. Where they like got pen pals in other countries. You know. And. Her name was Ruth. And she wrote to her. Like right when her eighth grade year started. About her energy poverty. And so. Hannah was thinking about it, and, you know, she was like, well, we take these things for granted in America. Like, we have lights right here. We have this microphone and, like, all the instruments and stuff. And, like, we don't think anything of it, you know? It's just, like, elevate, you know? Cool stuff. But, like, they don't have that in, like, every country. So she wanted to fix the problem for her friend Ruth. And she did it in eighth grade, you know? (laughs) So... Basically what it is, she had, like, made a proto- like a model on a computer and then 3D printed the prototype. And it only cost $12 for her to make. So, you know, not bad. She also made a couple other things after that, you know, nothing, like, world-changing or anything. She made, like, a Band-Aid to prevent bacteria. It's like a bacteria-proof Band-Aid, because apparently regular Band-Aids don't do that, guys. Bad Band-Aids. Uh, she also made a gas leak detector for, like, people that live in, like, work on, like, the oil field and stuff. If there was, like, a gas leak, you know, you could, like, die. And you just don't won't even notice. <laughs> and she made a thing to detect that. And the device is portable. So that's another great thing. Uh, and she, her advice to young teens was to try new things. Because the whole way it started was at her, in one, like, her summer camp, her engineering summer camp. And she was the only girl there. So she kind of didn't want to go. But her dad told her to just try for one day, and if she didn't like it, she didn't have to go back. And so she did, and then she loved it. And that's what started her whole science life. And, yeah, she helps people in all the other countries. 
And uh, yeah, that's it. I don't know why I looked back. I don't have pictures. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> kidding you're a natural that was awesome give her another hand thank you olivia that was great try new things get out of your comfort zone eighth grade you said eighth grade man changing the world i like the, the bobber the thing on the side of the boat great explanation all right so next up please welcome to the stage sydney yeah, come on up. You rock, Sydney. So I'm talking about Bentley Gunn. Bentley Gunn was 13 when he started doing mission trips. He went to China and Kenya, and he was there to hand out Bibles to people who didn't have them. When he was in Kenya and China, he noticed that a lot of people were living in unideal places. Um, Very small, not clean, not sanitary. And so he thought of the idea to create houses or renovate houses that were run down, like no one was living in them. And so he, when he got back home to Mississippi, to the state of Mississippi, he realized that they were there too, that people were living in these places that no one should be living in. So he started the foundation called Students Aiding Indigent Families, or SAIF. He, what he would do was he would take old places, renovate them, and then sell them to the people who couldn't afford them or really just needed a new house. He... He said one of his quotes was, how can people focus on their spiritual needs when they have serious physical needs? And I thought that was really cool because it's really true. Um, He used the help of nonprofits, community service groups, and even real estate agents to help build his organization. He has more than 200 students in the cause now after three years and produces over $100,000 in annual revenue. He said, when I do my mission work, I sense God's pleasure and feel like I'm doing his will. I noticed that sometimes God's calling isn't to go out to places like Africa or China like he did, but it might be right next door. So it might be your neighbor who doesn't know God or who is having just a bad time and you want to reach out to them. That could change their life and then they could go change somebody else's life. Never know. So I hope Bentley Gunn's story has inspired you to go out and glorify God, even though, you know, some people don't know him, or it might be scary. That was excellent. You don't have to cross an ocean. Maybe God's just calling you next door. That's great. All right, so please welcome to the stage. This final one is uh, I threw kind of a huge challenge at him because it was someone with way too much information to to melt down into five, six minutes. Um, So bear with him. But what an incredible story. Please welcome Elijah. Come on up. Hello. So the amazing team that I got uh, is a guy named Bruce Olson. 
Uh, he was born in like 1941, so he's super old. Uh, he's still alive. <laughs> Guys. So he was saved when he was 14, 1955. At age 17, he decided he wanted to move to Venezuela, uh, where he would preach the good news of Jesus Christ to people who had never heard it before. Um, the people group that he wanted to meet uh, would take a long time to get to because he didn't know the land. It's Venezuela. He didn't know the people, um, and he had no clue how to get there alive because, again, it's Venezuela. And um, the people called the Motilones. Uh, they were considered a very violent people, thought to be cannibals, were not. Um, and they were <laughs> famous for their four-and-a-half-foot-long arrows that they would shoot into mostly intruders um, and oil field workers. Uh, they killed many people. Uh, before Bruce could go to meet the people, the, the Motilones, he would spend time planning and getting used to the jungle. Uh, he stayed with people called the Yukos. Uh, but when Bruce was ready to go and finally meet the people he planned to share the gospel with, he went out with six Yukos guides. Um, it was a long journey, multiple days. Uh, and along the way, they saw beautiful things, parrots, monkeys, awesome vegetation and stuff. But then one morning, they woke up and things were silent. They're on the trail, just walking, and boom, dead silence. And the Yukos guys were like, okay, something's up, like, something's up, something's danger. And they, like, kid you not, turn around and start running. And before Bruce could even get the chance, these people jump out of the bushes, start shooting four and a half foot long arrows at him. <laughs> he winds up taking one to the leg. He's on the ground. Uh, the Yukos are, they're gone, you know. They say good riddance, uh, Whitey. And um, <laughs> so um, Bruce is taken to the place where the Motilones lived. Um, and, you know, tortured and crazy stuff happens. But eventually, it took time, but Bruce began living with the Motilone. He began learning their difficult language. He began loving them. And he became intentional in, in knowing them and knowing their culture. After several years, he became agile in their language. He learned their culture well. And uh, one day, they're on a hike, him and a few of the warriors. And some of the members of the tribe are in the jungle screaming. And just, just blood-curdling dreams coming out of the bushes. And Bruce is like, what the heck is going on? One of their friends had died. And in their grief, they're screaming out for God um, because they had a lost connection with their creator, just like we did before, uh, before Christ saved us. And Bruce now saw uh, the hurt that the, people, that the tribe had. He recognized the pain of being distant from their creator, and he knew what to do about it. He knew they needed Jesus, but it couldn't be as simple as preaching the gospel to them because you see the culture difference between the Motilones in the jungle and the Israelites 2,000 years ago uh, was vastly different. And like you think it's hard to understand the gospel, it would have been even harder for them to, uh, especially with their crazy traditions. Uh, it just wouldn't have made sense. But Bruce is different. Through two legends that the Motilones had and one ritual, he was able to describe the gospel to them. In their own words, he, they could understand it. Uh, those three things were, um, one of the legends was uh, the Motilone warrior ant. So there was a legend about a warrior who became an ant so that he could teach all the ants uh, stuff that people knew, you know, how to build things, how to grow things, and, you know, directions. And he made their lives better through their teachings. And Bruce says, that's what Jesus did. He came down from heaven, became a man, and taught us better. And then so they were like, great, you know this Jesus man, we want to know him. And he's like, well, you can't really know him, he's, you, he, he died. And they're like, well, that's you know, unfortunate. Um, so he's like, well, yeah, I can fix this. You know the tapir ritual you guys have? And they're like, yeah. So a tapir is a jungle pig, and whenever they would hunt these things, 
uh, they kill them, of course, and then cut them apart. And they take the skin, and one guy would wear it and walk around saying, "I'm a tapir," you know, which is really weird, but it's you know, it's jungle people. Um, so Bruce sees this, and instead of saying <laughs> "weird by," he goes, "That that's what Jesus did for you." He died. He shed his blood so that you could take it on and become something different. And the Motilans were like, that makes sense. That's why he died. Still doesn't fix the fact that they wanted to be with God. They wanted to know God. They had another legend. The third legend was this. The tall, skinny, blonde guy with a banana stalk that God came out of legend. Which sounds crazy again, but jungle people. So (laughs) there's this legend where... Uh, one, one day, a guy with yellow hair would come with a banana stalk in his hand, and something about God's character would come out of it and make itself known to the people. <laughs> and Bruce is like, okay, weird. But one day, he's sitting with his friend Bobby, who is a mochilone, and Bobby cuts a banana stalk in half and lays the two halves open like a book. And the page, the layers of the plant look like pages. So... Bruce is like, that looks like my Bible. He whips out his Bible, and he's like, boom, this is my banana stalk. I've got yellow hair. Listen to the attributes of God that are in it. And they're like, this makes sense. You know, and they took it. And so now the Moti loans had God back. And that's because the gospel was brought to them in context that they could comprehend. Bruce didn't go to these people and take away their enchantment singing medicine men. He didn't make them stop their rituals, and he didn't condemn them for every non-biblical belief because the absence of those things doesn't amount to the presence of Jesus. Olson gave the multi-loans Jesus, and the rest fell into place because ultimately Jesus was what they needed first. Eventually, Olson had the Bible translated into multi-loan after the after that, more and more books and educational programs and tons of other advancements like agriculture and health systems uh, were created. Um, and now there are multi-loan lawyers, multi-loan doctors, dentists, double PhDs, and more. And the belief that they all hold fast to isn't that some uh, whitey <laughs> helped advance their people. It's that following the trail of a new leader had done it. The leader is Jesus, and he alone gets all the glory for that. It was never Bruce. It was never the people. So, that's it. Do hard things. Do them for God's glory. Thank you, Elijah. That was awesome. I loved it. That Bruce didn't try to bring Americanism to the Motilones. Motilones? I'm saying that right? Motilone. Right? Cool. He didn't try to bring Americanism to them. He just brought Jesus, and he fit Jesus into the context they could understand. That is amazing. Um, I wonder if we love people enough to get into their worlds before we try to um, push anything. That's just that's beautiful. Next week, we have six more that are going to be following in the footsteps of these five. Y'all give all five a big hand. They were amazing. Yeah. From witnessing in a hospital to to science, to uh, cross-seas missionaries, to jungle people. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Let's pray. And I do want to leave you again with a thought. If you haven't heard me say it already, God may not be calling you to cross oceans or star organizations, or he may just be calling you to affect someone's world, to be that person's world changer. And it's Jesus that makes a difference. We can give... Motivational speaking, we can give wisdom, we can give great ideas all day long. 
but it's Jesus that actually changes worlds, that changes lives, that turns someone from the inside out and transforms them. And so may we be a people that maybe if God isn't calling us to cross an ocean, are willing to cross a room. Let that be who we are, Elevate. Heavenly Father, thank you for these five courageous men and women of God. Lord, I pray that you will take their stories and plant seeds in every one of us. Lord, I pray that every single one of us is touched by one of these stories to go out there and see it as a mission field, to look for ways that we can be creative and industrious and persistent for the world around us. Open up doors. Make people's hearts sensitive. Show us where you're at work so we can join you there. And I pray that we will be bold to speak your name. We love you, Lord, and we give the rest of tonight to you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Don't forget, Do Our Thing Saturday is two Saturdays from now. I can't wait to see you there. It's going to rock. Love y'all. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.